When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oh, hi, everybody. Hi, hi, hi. This is Morning Combat Extra Credit. This is where we get into all the fights that we didn't get to on regular MK. That's usually with Brian Campbell. My name is Luke Thomas. It'll just be me today taking you through right here on episode 13, I believe, of this podcast. We'll be talking about the UFC Fight Night card from over the weekend. Um, uh, well, it had Jim Miller on it. It had Kyle Dawkins on it. It had a bunch of people on it, of course, was headlined by Jamal Hill and Johnny Walker. First things first, if you're watching this on YouTube, thumbs up time, hit subscribe time. This is that that extra something you've been looking for. Now, I didn't put any of the Bellator fights in the rundown today, not because there weren't good fights, but because we actually got some more of that on the regular MK. We didn't get to hardly any of the other stuff that happened on this UFC card. So, um, that's what we'll be focusing on here today. Let's take a look at the fights that we'll be talking about. They're not in exactly a proper order. This is how they're listed on the fight card. I want. I'm not bagging on my producer. What I mean to say is, I will be going out of order relative to this. But this is the fight card order. Dawkins versus Pickett was your co-main. Miller versus Moda. Onama versus Benitez. Uh, Stephanie Egger taking on Jessica Rose Clark and then Chaz Skelly and Mark Striegel. So those are the ones I would like to talk about. I mean, am I really going to say a whole lot about Buckley versus uh, Razak Al-Hassan? Like, probably not. So with that in mind, um, let's get things started. We'll start actually with Jim Miller. Jim Miller taking on Nicholas Mota. This was Mota's UFC debut. In fact, for all debuts, this is actually the biggest differential in terms of UFC experience. There had never been a fighter who had been that senior versus a fighter who had been that junior. And that sort of tells a little bit of the story of what Jim Miller has done in his late career. It's not like he's fighting the exact same level of guys. In fact, even uh, I would argue that the two guys he has previous losses to are very good fighters, and Vince Michelle and Joe Seleski, two very good grapplers in their own right, and Vince Michelle, a bit of a demon. Um, you know, overall, I would say that the level of competition, Jim Miller used to be towards sort of like the top 15, top 10, even top five for a time. And now he's certainly outside of that. But what I would argue is, one, these are guys with modern best practices. Two, that they obviously have, you know, youth advantages, speed advantages, going to be a lot of strength advantages. And yet he is still finding a way to win. He did a great job in this contest using the inside leg kick. It would open up. They had opposite stances, so it would open up Moda. It would force him to reset. It was a constant problem. But really the thing that got the job done for Miller were those blitzes he was trying. And what he did in the final blitz was fake like he was coming with the left and then almost with a bit of a delayed timing on it, then comes over the top with the right with an overhand right. Moda never sees it. It floors him, and then Miller has just basically, what do you want to say, 
clinical follow-up at that point, actually even telling Paul Felder, who was the post-fight in-ring, in-cage announcer, as well as obviously the uh, play-by-play guy, or excuse me, the, the uh, color commentary guy, along with Dominic Cruz, you know, uh, kind of asking him, or actually I should say Jim Miller responding rather that, you know, he thought that the fight had gone on too long. The bigger point here is about Jim Miller and what he's able to do. Ties Donald Cerrone for most wins in UFC history. What is remarkable is that while the level of opponent he is facing has sort of gone back to where where, where he was um, roughly towards the beginning of his UFC run, right? He is not I mean, literally facing a guy making his UFC debut. That's about where he was when he was making his UFC debut. So it has come full circle in that sense. However, what you have to remember is, you know, I'm sure he is fighting for money. I'm sure that he wants more money. But it would be just incorrect to say that what this guy is doing at this stage is about chasing money. I think, yes, having a nice compensation package such that he has one is a motivating factor but most guys at this age either don't want to compete at all or don't want to compete unless they're fighting the very best of this division unless there's some kind of other financial reward or there's a big to do about it dude this guy is on apex shows when there's just a handful of people watching against dudes making their ufc debut and he's as all in as he ever was um, that is what is commendable. That is what, when you talk about a martial arts journey, that's what you're talking about. You can't lose sight of the fact that what Jim Miller is doing is just exemplary uh, of what it means to live a martial arts lifestyle and life. You know, I give credit to another person, Rafael Lovato Jr., going over to, uh, he has won basically every award you can win in jiu-jitsu, then still goes over in the master's divisions and is still competing over there and winning the European IBJJF title. It's just incredible that these guys have this kind of hunger. And, you know, they're not the very best versions of what they ever were, but they're still very good versions, clearly good enough to get two wins in a row. But more than that, at the stage of their life and athletic journey that they still want to do that and they, they can have success still at this level, you know, all respective levels. Obviously, uh, one's a different sport in the case of Lovato Jr., but you, the, this, the point still holds. It is so, so exceedingly rare to see someone with this kind of competitive thirst in these kinds of stakes where Mota has everything to gain. Jim Miller, certainly our acclaim and our respect for insiders, but it's not like he's going to be tearing up the world doing this. And he talks about what matters to him is the, the, um, the respect of his peers and that kind of a thing. It's just, it's a, it's a remarkable journey that he has been on and he is still getting better in certain ways. Still refining his craft. Obviously he's a much older athlete. He's got his own fair amount of injuries. He had a sort of a very documented bout, so to speak with Lyme disease, but in many ways he is still refining his craft, still testing himself I think that's really what is so admirable here is the willingness to test himself to use parts of his game that you know were good previously, but he's found a way to even then in his advanced age still find the ways to sharpen them up, still have some new tools. Pretty pretty commendable what this guy has done. Pretty commendable and just a a, a impossible to dislike guy. Truly impossible. How far he can go, I don't know. I don't think he can beat the very best best guys out right now. I don't think he can beat. I'm not even sure he can beat ranked guys at this point, um, given some of the guys who he's lost to. But his career is extraordinary, just the same. All right, we go to Kyle Dawkins taking on Jamie Pickett. Jamie Pickett never really had much of a chance in this contest, candidly. On the feet, he did. On the feet, I think he did. Um, he is a good athlete, um, well-trained, fast, 
you know, he can do certain things, but on the ground, it was immediately, obviously, obvious, excuse me, there was a huge, huge difference. In the end, Kyle Dawkins doing a great job of phenomenal shoulder pressure. I tweeted about it. You can see Pickett being, the pressure is coming in so tight on this jaw. He's being forced to look away because Dawkins is leaning into it. So it literally pushes his head over, which is very painful. And you need that. You need to control the, sh- the shoulders and sort of the neck for certain kinds of uh, passing. I think he had like double unders or I think he had one underhook and that shoulder heads, or the shoulder and the head angle. And he was trying to use it to pass. Couldn't get the pass because Pickett shrimps. But when he releases the shoulder pressure, Kyle Dawkins, Pickett tries to immediately put his head up and sit up. Obviously, he doesn't want to get back there. He doesn't want to get framed. And then he goes from being on his back, flat on his back, to his side, which is what you would want to do. But Pickett uh, basically just walks into a trap that Dawkins is setting. Dawkins knows if he can't get the pass and someone scoots out, they're going to go sit back and sit up afterwards they may sit up this way or they may at least get to their shoulder or to an elbow and when they do that's when you can wrap the head for the darts he wraps it punches his way through for the arm and then secures the choke from there it was just solid work dude the level of ability on the ground there once it got to the ground Pickett was not going to win unless he could stand back up or something but playing that game underneath Kyle Dawkins was no good for him I like Kyle Dawkins's game dude he was very clever and patient about closing the distance, getting both hands on wrist control to force um, close exchange and close uh, positioning contact along the fence line. Then from there, getting his takedown methodically, working from the clinch, getting on top, working for the pass, finding the choke, getting it just moments, 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 moments before the final bell closed. Kyle Dawkins is great, man. He's a good fighter. He's talented. He clearly thinks through the problem. He's clearly got very high-level skills on the mat was miles ahead of Jamie Pickett and just needs to be, I think, consistent. Consistently needs to get out there. Uh, but stuck to his strengths, lorded it over his opponents, made great decisions. You know, I just don't know what else folks are looking for. This is this is great. We want to see, obviously, more, and we will see more from Kyle Dawkins. I think certainly with, with a lot of Ws, but um, this was easy for him, quite frankly, easy. Stephanie Egger takes on Jessica Rose Clark. This was an interesting contest to pay attention to, at least for me, because Rose Clark has, I think, made a lot of improvements, and she came into this contest in her last fight, granted, against a very different level opponent, Jocelyn Edwards, but you saw what I saw. Well, I saw there Rose Clark just having a lot better success on the ground in that fight, the previous one, doing a good job of controlling, passing, not a ton of ground and pound, but really dominant positional control, basically all the way through that fight. And I thought, wow, you know, she probably, I'm not going to say intentionally didn't try to finish. I don't think that's right. But, you know, didn't mind anyway. I'll put it that way. Didn't mind that the fight went three rounds because she got a lot of experience in the right kind of way that she would need to, you know, keep developing her game, use those kinds of skills in a real UFC fight, see what it does for you. Like it was, And it was good. It was solid. Up against uh, Stephanie Egger, it looked to me like it was, she was overmatched. Um, you know, I, I take Rose Clark's ability seriously. I thought she'd been a massive improvement. Stephanie Egger did a great job. Stephanie Egger finding from the clinch, a, a la Shafkat Rachmanov, from an underhook, and then battling for some kind of... I couldn't quite see how they were tying up in the, in the hand that was in front of them, but you'll notice in that final throw, what she waits for is some kind of tie-up. I didn't know if it was inside bicep or she was grabbing behind the arm, but then she goes from the overhook and then and then as part of the throw kind of clubs Jessica Rose Clark forward to get on top, goes into scarf hold, 
a famous hold in judo, they can get your back if you're not careful. But the way you, Josh Barnett against um, Dean Lister would be one of the more prominent examples. Granted, that's pure grappling, but not MMA. But he actually got a tap from Scarfold because he's able to lean in and you can pin someone and you can really lean into their chest. I think you heard Dominic Cruz talking about how hard it was to breathe. That's not an exaggeration. If, if you have a skilled operator who is using that in a way that you know they've used it before, it can be quite painful. It can be quite, uh, at a bare minimum, uncomfortable. And then from there, she tries to set up the Kimura, but then Jessica Rose Clark goes back down. So Rose Clark is here, which means, okay, you don't really have the Kimura, but you can probably get the arm bar, isolates the arm bar, and then goes to take the back, but isn't really taking the back sits for the head when she does it puts one shin behind the head which is what you need you need that scissoring effect one shin behind the head one on the back um well depending on where you want i suppose but one has to be behind the head and that's the one that uses to force the turn over to come on top and then from there takes the thumb towards the side where the arm is going and then finally get catches the arm bar from there so just a really clinical job from stephanie egger in the end um you know, I'm not sure what Jessica Rose Clark could have done differently except to disengage from those positions. But I think given the improvements she had made and then what had happened in her last fight, this was a tactical approach that I think she felt confident in. But Egger proving to be quite a formidable talent herself. That was just solid work. You don't see a ton from Scarfold. And by the way, Jack Slack had a video talking about a lot more. Um, well, talking about specifically Islam Makachev, but talking about how some of these Sambist guys you know, against the fence, they'll be, they'll, and I talked about it in my Shavkat Ragmanov thing too. He'll allow himself to be pressed into the fence uh, and even kind of put upright where someone's using their head to kind of position in when they can have that overhook. If they can get the positioning right with the front hand battle and they can step out in front, either Uchimata, Harai, Goshi, whatever, they can take these folks for rides. You're seeing it more and more. In all three Shavkat Ragmanov fights I showed, he had his back against the fence in all three, and in all three, he scored takedowns with that. Some of them being trips, some of them being throws. Nevertheless, getting it just the same. There is a new meta happening, I think, inside MMA where people are now allowing themselves to get pressed if they excel at those kinds of takedowns. And the fact, I don't know much about Stephanie Egger's background, but the fact that she had that kind of throw and then worked from Scarfold tells you she probably has a judo background. I think it's quite fair to say. Let's see here. Am I right about that? Uh, right. Egger is a judo black belt, having won the 2010 European Under-23 Championships and was the Swiss judo champion in the plus 63 kilogram category. Those judo bubbas, they're so good at throws in that position. And then Scarfold is a big one for them because you can win, obviously, I think, via pin with it. Uh, or at least you used to be able to or whatever the rules in judo are. But it's a big thing for them. All right. Let's go to Chaz Skelly taking on Mark Striegel. Chaz Skelly, dude. I like Chaz Skelly. I've known him well. Uh, he used to come on my show and do betting picks, and they were always pretty good. He is, uh, and I'm going to say this not not in an insulting way, he's something of a relic. And what I mean by that is he was in Team Takedown. There was this team, if you guys don't know the story, years ago, where basically they were like recruiting these guys who were NCAA 1 national champions or finalists or whatever, your Johnny Hendrixes, and there were some other guys out of Oklahoma State they were getting. And the idea was pay them six figures. This is back when those guys in the regional scene couldn't make any money pay them six figures, have them train, and then, you know, basically when they get to the UFC, um, begin to make money on their checks. But the problem with that was it was forcing a lot of the team takedown guys, I think, into bigger promotions early because, you know, it takes a little while, even with a national one, national division one wrestling champion to take, sometimes it can take them a while to get into that MMA groove. 
And so they were kind of rushed along. Some of them d didn't bother them. Some, I think, it messed up their development. Anyway, long story short, that was an old relic back when MMA magazines were a thing. And he was part of Team Takedown because he had, a, obviously, a decorated background wrestling um, at, uh, well, he, here we go. He, let's see. He wrestled for All-American Honor, seventh place finish at Nationals for Oklahoma City University. It was a wrestling partner of Johnny Bedford. Yeah, this dude can wrestle, right? Anyway, he's always had a pretty good career. He had lost to Jason Knight, Darren Elkins, and Mirsad Bektich, but he had wins over Maximo Blanco. Folks don't realize how good that is. Uh, Kevin Souza, Jordan Griffin. The dude can do some things. This was supposed to be his retirement fight. Striegel was just on the back foot the entire time. You had a guy in... Um, a guy in, in Chaz Skelly kind of pushing him back, doing what he wanted for the most part, in the end, getting it by um, back again, continuing to back him up for pressure, varying up his strikes, throwing elbows up over the top, landing a punch, and then there was a big height differential that you guys noticed, right? And we have a height differential, and who's the king of this? Dan Hooker. You get a big height differential. A lot of times, if guys are closing the distance, they don't have to level change and look down for the knee to be there. Chess Skelly is long and lanky. There was a height differential. You can just bring it up and brings it up under the chin. It didn't hit in the forehead or the cheek or the side. It comes right up under and then rocks him back. And then from there, he's able to follow and finish up. It's just good awareness from a veteran like Chess Skelly. It's good you know, presence of mind. Shows all the things he's put into his game to get better. He's a respectable talent. If this is the end, I think he's had a very um, respectable and an honorable career. He had some good wins. He he hope he made some money. I don't know exactly what he made, but this was just a guy in Striegel being essentially overmatched. Really, Mark, um, Mark Striegel just didn't really have an answer for the ability of. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Um, Chas Kelly to pressure him backwards in the wrestling department really was quite overmatched and I think had to resort to the kinds of attacks that are just riskier, just closing the distance like that over and over again. He was getting timed, you know, and for a guy like Chas Kelly to show good timing on the feet, good range awareness on the feet, good weapon selection on the feet, trickery with weapon selection on the feet, letting him get even closer and closer and then popping him with the elbow, just stuff like that. You know, he could keep winning at this level for sure. If he wants to retire, then certainly won't allow him to go out on his own terms. But um, he could keep winning for sure. This is not a guy who is being beaten by the game. Same with Jim Miller. Now, if Jim Miller hangs on a little bit longer. You may end up seeing that. But you heard, heard Amir Khan talk about it recently. He doesn't want boxing to retire him, although he's getting pretty close to that. 
Um, but guys like Jim Miller, guys like Chaz Skelly, they're not getting retired by MMA. They're doing the retiring on their own. Um, you have to love them for that. And then last but not least, David Onama. I think that's his name. I want to make sure I pronounce it correctly. I'm not sure what the correct pronunciation is. David Onama out of Glory MMA and Fitness taking on Gabriel Benitez. Benitez missing weight again, gets viciously KO'd. He was doing a great job in this, but he, uh, same for it's a similar-ish kind of ending to the main event where you didn't have Johnny Walker inventory what it meant for the stance to switch. Same kind of thing here for David Onama. Onama opens up to his... He stands orthodox, so his open side is his right side. Um, Benitez throws a kick as he gets pressured backwards. The left hand was landing for Onama over and over again, so he's landing, but he's he's landing, but it's a, it's it's sometimes missing and it's just coming up short. So he's standing orthodox. Benitez throws a kick and then tries to circle out, but what does Onama do? He just steps forward with his right. And closes the show. Remember, if I switch just in the same place on the same center axis, like a like a like a like a fireman's you know pole was coming through my head or something, I can switch on that axis. But I can also do what Alessandro does and just take a step forward, or what Gaethje did against Barboza, right? Where you're trying to escape at, or or Stipe against DC. If I take a step forward, not only am I switching stances, but I'm getting closer to you. And in that particular case, cutting off the side from there. He jabs with the right and then throws with the left. And when he throws with the left, it begins to connect because he has now made much closer distance. Benitez, when he's got open space, can move, absorb a little bit. He was getting tagged some, but it can move back. When he's up against the fence, he can't. So he doesn't inventory the stance change. Onama puts it into place, closes the distance, lands the left that had been kind of finding the mark the whole way, and then lands the right behind it. And then from there, just kind of unloads against a Benitez who was hurt up against the fence line much more upright it, against the fence line you got to circle out to the weak side you have to learn how to roll under i'm not saying benitez can't or you know whatever um and i realize why you would want, want to escape to the open side depending on what you throw but you got to make sure you really inventory that you got this guy off of you you didn't really get him off of you to get enough movement and it was still up against the fence line it had to be one or two more to really push him back and then you can get moving but he doesn't do it and so he gets caught and that was it. And Onama had been hurt bad before that. Benitez and Onama were exchanging in this one. Onama doing a little bit more headhunting. Benitez doing a little bit more, actually a lot more body work. And it was good body work. The body work, bring it down the head, bring it down the hand, excuse me, then going to the head. It was solid work from Benitez. He was hardly doing poorly. But you just can't make mistakes at this level against guys who are this offensively um, aggressive in the way that Onama was. Didn't inventory the stance, which gave up the distance, gets clipped. And then from there, dude, what can you do? You get hit with one shot in the sport, and it changes the whole thing. The whole thing just goes up in smoke, right? Uh, all the good things you were doing just get erased in an instant. It's not fair. It's a cruel game. It's a very tough game, but it's the game nonetheless. So good resiliency by Onama against the fence line, man. You know, I, I talk about all the time with his takedowns, but also along the fence line. Look at how Adesanya waits until he can either fully escape, does the work to back you off, and gets far away. And then when he moves, moves with a purpose, right? He really is adamant about not having to fight up against that fence line if he doesn't have to. He wants that movement. He needs that movement, that space, that freedom, and has a whole programmed way of offense and defense going. 
when he gets into and then out of those scenarios to make sure he's not fighting in ways where he can get clipped um, by someone shortening the distance that way. you got to be real careful. Happens to the very best fighters, no doubt about it, but it happened here as well. You know, the Joaquin Buckley, Abdul Razak Al Hassan fight, I didn't think was going to go as long as it did. I guess Buckley just sort of did more in the end, kind of a thing, just did more in the end, um, but not a great fight. I will say I'll give a shout out on the Bellator card. Uh, Adam Piccolotti getting a nice win over Georgie Karakani, and Georgie is super talented and I thought better at 155 than 145, bringing some of his strength quite literally to bear. But Adam Piccolotti is just good everywhere, dude. He's good everywhere. He is good. on. He can find the back. He's got good, great takedowns. He's, he's just a solid black belt wrestler type. And those guys, man, they've got a lot of their bases covered in that department. They're going to be hard to deal with. You saw some of that there. So that's a very good win by Adam Piccolotti um, that I think a lot of folks need to pay attention to. Um, and that's it. A shorter episode today. It wasn't the biggest week weekend of fights in terms of non-main and main event action. Um well, non-co-main, I should say. Non-co-main and main event action, but the rest of the card. So, uh, what'd you like? What did you dislike? Thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe. What fights mattered to you? Which ones didn't? And then shouts to all the winners. They all did a great job. Okay? This is Morning Combat Extra Credit. My name is Luke Thomas. We'll be back next week. I appreciate everyone watching. And until then, enjoy the fights. <laughs>